That was good baptisms tonight, too. There was something in the water, that's for sure. So good tonight. If you're in business, would you stand up? I, we're supposed to bless the business people tonight. You guys provide income for families and, and for our community. Would you just extend your hands to these? We're supposed to send these guys out like we commissioned Ben tonight. That was beautiful. Wasn't that beautiful? And I feel like we were just supposed to bless. You know, business people so bless our church. And I think sometimes they're the forgotten soldiers in our army. And uh, I just felt like we were to have them stand and we were to bless them with a wealth anointing. So, Lord, we just release a wealth anointing right here in Jesus' name. We release wealth on every one of them. If they're struggling, we pray that tomorrow morning would begin a new day for their business. That it would be 30, 60, and 100-fold blessing. That you would bless them, not just with finances, but that you would bless them with connection, with a sense of belonging, with a sense of significance. In the name of Jesus, that when people walk into their business, that they be coming into the kingdom. Lord, we pray for miracles and wonders and signs to happen right there with their employees, with their customers among their staff. Lord, we just we release that over them in Jesus' name and that you would cause them to dream bigger. Yeah, just dream bigger in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We pray for collaboration. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. We pray for collaboration with heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You know, um, tonight I, it's, I feel like a little bit like James, like I had one thing I really wanted to preach on tonight with Azusa Street. I, I felt like I was going to preach on wonders and signs and miracles, as if that doesn't get preached here very much. <laughs> but I felt like I was supposed to actually share about forgiveness. And, um, and so turn to Matthew chapter 5. And verse 21, I don't think I'll share many verses tonight that you don't know well, nor do I think I'll share anything that I've not shared before. But I, I feel like the foundation of everything we do in the kingdom is around the cross and the blood of Jesus. And I'm thankful for the miracles. You know, I need some. And uh, we, we, um, we need them. We need God to show up powerfully. But I think one of the greatest miracles in, uh, in our lives is often so common that it becomes uh, unnoticed. I, I remember living in, uh, in Trinity County. We lived in the mountains. And I remember the first year, because we moved from the Bay Area to the mountains, every day was just like, oh, I cannot believe I get to live here. But after living five or six, seven years, pretty soon you're driving along the rivers and in the trees and you're not even thinking about the beauty of the place you get to live. And I think sometimes forgiveness, living um, on this side of the cross and Jesus forgiving us and, and us having the power to forgive other people is, is so uh, amazing and crazy. So I want to just pray before we start. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would enlighten us, that literally that you would open the door of revelation and that you would help us to see how powerful, how powerfully you have forgiven us and broken the power of shame in our lives. 
And I pray, God, that you would just, that you would just awaken something in us that would actually be so powerful through us that while people are getting healed with signs and wonders, their souls would leave the prison of shame and come into the place of double portion. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, I want to tell you just a a little analogy about the cross. You know, um, the difference between the old covenant, obviously, and the new covenant is actually the cross, right? And the cross, uh, it's interesting to me that a lot of people don't actually understand what happened at the cross. And um, we talk a lot about prophetic ministry. I do, at least. I teach a lot about prophetic ministry. And oftentimes, I see prophetic people bringing the old covenant into the new covenant. And basically, they bring Moses into the promised land. And how many know Moses couldn't come into the promised land? He died in the wilderness because it was a guy named Joshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus, that actually took the people from the wilderness into the promised land. And the law can get you out of Egypt, but it won't get you in the promised land. I love what Lauren shared this morning. And I, um, I think there's a lot of times, I, lots of times we have a mixture, um, all of us uh, probably do in some ways, but we, we, we love the Bible, so we read the Old and New Testament, which are really awesome, but we have to remember that the Old Testament was an old, uh, if you will, it was a covenant with a, with a, a group of people that has been fulfilled. I mean, oh, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. And so the Old Covenant, and what was the Old Covenant about? It was about, Galatians says that the old, the old Covenant was actually a tutor. It was a teacher to teach us that we actually needed a Savior. God wanted to actually have a relationship with us, and, and we chose rules instead of relationship. And God said, okay, you want rules? Here's the rules. And he gave them 217 commandments. And he said, keep these rules and you can get to heaven. 500 years before Christ, Isaiah cries out, there's none righteous, not one. Not one people, not one person in the entire Old Testament was righteous enough to get to heaven through their own effort. And so we got, to, we got to heaven not through our efforts, but through His. Jesus didn't just die for us, He also died as us. We were in Christ when He was on the cross. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I heard an analogy many years ago, and I've repeated it several times, but if you can think about this, like think of it like this, like, let's pretend that Paul Manwaring was the judge, and Ben killed my son. And so we go before the judge, Paul, and, and, Paul's, and, Paul's, and we, we say, you know, and I say, Ben killed my son. And Paul looks at Ben and he says, oh, Ben, oh, your dad was a friend of mine. Go free. How many know that's mercy? But it's not justice. How many understand that God, that Jesus sits on the mercy seat, but the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice? See, if he releases, if he, if he gives, if he releases Ben without creating justice, he's a crooked judge. So God, if you will, has this challenge. Somehow he has to create justice so he can release mercy. So Ben's mother steps up and says, I will die for my son. And Judge Paul looks through the archives, and, she go, and he says, you can't die for your son. You're a fugitive. You owe for your own sins. How many know the soul that sins shall die? She can't die for him because she owes for her own sins, and actually we've been looking for her too. 
Sorry, I'm sorry, you can't die for your son because you're actually a fugitive and you actually have to die for your own sins. And then the courtroom gets silent and suddenly the, the son of the judge comes into the courtroom and says, Your Honor, I will die for him. And the judge looks, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Wait a second, you never sinned. You never sinned. You don't have to die. How many of you know Adam, if he would have ate the tree of life, he would have never died? How many understand heaven was not made for people? Because God intended for Adam to eat the tree of life and live forever. Death wasn't supposed to be part of the plan. Thus we ate the tree of... We finally ate the right tree in Jesus and live forever. That's why heaven is coming to earth. Trying to get everybody to heaven, but God's trying to get heaven in you. So the judge looks, Jesus Christ. Well, wait a second. You never, you never sinned. You will never die. Well, you can die for Ben's sin because you don't owe for yours. So how many know Jesus died to create justice? Suddenly, the judge can release mercy because he's created justice. And I say, wait a second, he can't die from, he killed my son. And the, and, and the judge says, yes, he killed your son, but your son was also in death row. He already owed for his sins. So I will give my son for your sins and your son's sins and Ben's sin. So Jesus dies to create justice. How many understand? God's not an unrighteous judge. He creates justice through the death of, of a sinless son so that he can release life without being a crooked judge. The point is this, is that Jesus doesn't have to judge you because you already judged his son as you. So Jesus didn't just die for you, he died as you. From that day on, see, so what I'm getting at is that Grace isn't cheap. It cost, it cost heaven the greatest prize of all. That was Jesus. But Jesus had to die because he was sinless so God could create justice so he could release mercy. So people, you know, in the prophetic world, people are like, you know, say, they say things like, San Francisco deserves to be judged. Well, that's true, but so do you. <laughs> See, Jesus didn't die for the church. God so loved the world. Oh, isn't that funny? And by the way, you're not the light of the church. You're the light of the world. <laughs> if the world's dark, whose fault is that? Who's huddling under a basket? It might be why when, when Christian churches grow in every city, that ch every city where ch Christian churches grow, the world gets darker outside. You know why? I call it the huddle effect. We get under the basket and wonder why the light gets brighter and the darkness gets darker. Then we create a theology for it. And we say, in the last days, the light gets lighter and the, bright, and the darkness gets darker. It's not supposed to be like that. Because Jesus said, no one lights the light and puts it under a basket. But they put them on a hill. Okay. Where I'm going is, is that Jesus forgave you completely. Well, I, I, I didn't deserve it. We, we know that. All your close friends know that. 
All my close friends know that about me. So what I'm getting at is that, so, you know, and prophetic people, uh, I'm a little off subject here, but prophetic people want to judge people because the Old Testament prophets did it. But how many know we've been given the ministry of reconciliation? 2 Corinthians 5.17, which everybody quotes, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, come on, pass away in. All things have become new. What's the next verse, though? And God was in Christ. What was he doing? Reconcile the world to himself. How did he do it? Not counting their trespasses against them. How many know it's your trespasses that separate you between, bring separation between you and God, me and God? So what does God do? He doesn't count them against you. What's the next verse? And we've been given the ministry... Of reconciliation, as if God was begging through us to be reconciled to God. How many understand, what's the message, what is the ministry of reconciliation? It's not counting your trespasses against you. The very first ministry the disciples received when Jesus rose from the dead, he saw them in a room, all huddled together, terrified that they were going to be the next ones to be killed. He says, peace be with you. He breathes on them, and he says what? Whomever sins you forgive, I forgive. Whatever sins you, you retain, I, for, I retain. You know one of the reasons why the Pharisees hated Jesus? Because he kept forgiving sins, and they said God alone can only forgive sins. It's only God who can forgive sins. And Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, now you can. When you meet somebody who's a sinner, you have the power and authority invested in you in Jesus Christ to say, God releases you from your sins. You're like, well, who are you to say that? His son. He sent me out. Do you understand when you lead someone to Christ, what you're actually doing is you're saying to them, you've been forgiven of your sins. You owed a million dollars. Oh, here. Paid in full. Written with blood. Paid in full. Paid in full. I I have a sense we can forgive nations. Because he said whoever. So I'm wondering like, when America does stuff that's wrong, or in your country, why not say, uh, Jesus, I forgave them today. I, 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 you forgave me, and you said I had power to forgive, and so I just extended it to them. I hope that was all right. <laughs> I'd rather be on this end of it, you know, because you get to heaven. You know, can you imagine Jesus saying, you forgave too many people. <laughs> I never told you you could forgive that many people. You, you forgave 365 million people all at once. I never said you could do that. No group forgiveness. I don't know about you, but it's just faster and easier. I'm saying forgiveness is at the core of the gospel. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I've shared this example so many times. If you took an Old Testament prophet, how I many you know the Old Testament prophets, they were the police. The prophets were the police of the Old Covenant. The law said, don't do that. And the prophets said, if you do, you die. The prophets of the Old Covenant, they were the ones who pointed out your sin. Because remember, what was the overarching theme of the Old Testament? The soul that sins shall die, you need a Savior. The law said, you're supposed to die. And the prophets said, we'll do that for you. Look at Saul. If you look at the King Saul in the Old Testament and Samuel the prophet, remember when, when Saul gave mercy to a, an enemy king? And, and Samuel said, what are you doing? And he, 
It says the prophet Samuel had a sword with him and killed the king. And, he, and he's the good guy in the movie. And the guy who extended mercy was the bad guy in the movie. But did you notice that the prophet literally carried his own sword with him? And what I'm getting at is that that's old ministry. But what happens when you take someone like Elijah or Samuel or some of the prophets of old? What happens when you take an Old Testament prophet and you move him on the other side of the cross? Wouldn't that be interesting if we, if we could actually see what would happen if we took an Old Testament prophet and we made him a prophet on this side of the cross? Well, actually, we know because in Malachi 4 says, in the last days I'll send you Elijah the prophet. Remember, Elijah was a prophet in the Old Covenant. Remember that? You guys awake? Am I boring you? You're like, I've heard this ten times. Give us something new. Where's Bill? (laughs) Give me Bill. What happens when you take the Old Testament prophet? What did did Elijah do in in the Old Testament? How many know he killed... 600 false prophets. He caused a famine. You, you get the idea, right? I mean, he, he, was, he was pretty strict. But it says, in the last days, we're going to send you Elijah the prophet. What's he going to do? He's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and hearts of sons to fathers. Least I smite the nation of the curse. How I many you know in the Old Covenant, he cursed nations. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, he reconciles families. This is, old, this is New Testament. But what my point tonight is, how come, the, why did his ministry change? Why will his ministry change in the New Covenant? Because the, of the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled justice so he could release mercy. You live on the mercy side of the cross. Now, here's the big deal. You've received mercy that you didn't deserve. There's only one challenge with that. The only option you have is to give mercy other people don't deserve. Now, before I go on, let me tell you this. You don't get forgiven for mistakes. You don't need to be forgiven from heaven for mistakes. Now, amongst ourselves, of course. But heaven isn't forgiving your mistakes. You don't need forgiveness from heaven for your mistakes. It's forgiving your sins. Now, let me tell you that sin means you did it on purpose. You can't sin by accident. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's talking about people being blind, they say to him, are we blind? He said, if you, if you were blind, then you would have no sin. But because you say, I see, your sin remains because you know what you're doing is wrong. So actually, Jesus told the Pharisees it would be better if you were blind because if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But because you know the right thing to do and you do the wrong thing, therefore your sin remains. How many understand that when the law came, Paul said, sin increased? Why did sin increase when the law came? Because you knew about these, this, this, these five things, let's say. You knew these five things were wrong. But when the law came, it gave you a whole list of things you didn't know were wrong. Now, once you learn that they're wrong and you still do them, how many know sin increased? It increased because knowledge increases. You know why Jesus didn't want anybody to know he was the Christ? You know why when the demons would shout, He's the Christ, and Jesus would say, shut up, don't tell anybody. You know why? Because you're responsible for what you know. And he did not want them to know that they were killing God. He wanted them to know they were killing an innocent person, but he didn't want them to know they were killing God. So he made the, 
And how many understand that the demons would love to increase your sin? They would love to enlighten you. That's why the knowledge of good and evil increased sin. Why did the devil want you to eat the tree of good and evil? How many know he wanted you to know good and evil because when you know, you're responsible for more? So you cannot sin by accident. I'm saying this for the people in this room. You're like, I did some things I just can't forgive myself for because I did them on purpose. I knew they were wrong. Listen, you can only do sin on purpose. You can only do, you can do mistakes on accident, but you can't do sin on accident. You can only do sin on purpose. I'm saying this for the sake of you sitting there. You're like, I don't deserve to be forgiven because you don't know what I did. No, you don't understand what he did. He didn't forgive your mistakes. He only forgave your sins. Sin means, I knew that was wrong. I did it anyway. (laughs) Christians are strange. They come in, I mean, when I used to counsel, they would come in and say, you know, and we talked to them and they're like, I know I can't ask Jesus to forgive me for that. I say, why not? Well, when I was doing it, I knew I was wrong. What do you think he died for? (laughs) He died when you act stupid and you do what you know is wrong to do and you do it anyway. You're like, well, I don't deserve to be forgiven for those things. I know. That's the point. (laughs) I wrecked the car. I did it on accident. I expect to be forgiven for that. I know. You aren't forgiven for that by God because you don't need to be forgiven because sin is always a heart issue. You can't have a sin accident. You can only have a sin purpose. If you, if you backed up and ran over someone and broke their leg and it was an accident, how many understand you, that's, you need forgiveness from the person you ran over, but how many understand you don't need permission from heaven because you didn't do it on purpose? But, you know, if you're driving down the street, you're mad at someone, you see them on the sidewalk, you can go up over the curb and you run over them. <laughs> that's a purpose. You did sin on purpose. And you're like, I know, and I don't, I, I don't deserve to be... Forgiven for it. I know those are the things you're forgiven for. You're not forgiven for the other things. Because you don't need to. I'm talking about by God. Are you with me? Okay, good word, Chris. Thank you. Okay, no, no, wait. I brought my own encouragement. Thank you. And I want to tell you that bitterness is an equal opportunity destroyer. You know what causes bitterness? unreleased forgiveness. When someone does something to you, especially on purpose, but it can be on accident, in your life, and instead of releasing forgiveness because you've been authorized to, you hold forgiveness back. And when forgiveness is held back, it gets moldy. And when it gets moldy, it's called bitterness. Forgiveness won't stay for more than one day. You know, manna, they got manna, was heavenly food. Remember this? Monday through Thursday, it only lasted a day. I guess you'd say Sunday through Thursday, it lasted one day. In other words, if you put it, if you try to refrigerate it, it molded. Like, it was fresh bread. On Fridays, it was good for two days because of the Sabbath, right? But what I'm getting at is that forgiveness is like that too. If you don't give it right away, it turns to bitterness. 
That's why Paul said, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Be angry, but don't sin. How many understand that anger is not sin? Unless it is. <laughs> See, if you're angry and you keep it overnight, what happens to it? It turns to bitterness because forgiveness is only good for one day. When you have a problem with someone, you got about 20... You, listen, I, I'm just telling you from experience. If you keep forgiveness from someone for more than a day, you start to bruise something else, don't you? You know it's true. Somebody offends you, and pretty soon you know you're like... Yeah. <laughs> and the monster comes out of the basement, and you just keep feeding them. And you try to find some other people who feed them with you, right? Some other people who are bitter with the same person. That's called the home group. Isn't it funny? You know what? Have you ever noticed that unforgiveness, bitterness, and unforgiveness, they're magnetic. If you're bitter with someone, it is crazy. You could be in a church of 8,000 people, and within a month, you find the, peop- the person that you are all equally agree is an idiot. I'm serious. It, it, it will attra- bitterness attracts other bitter people, especially to the same person you're bitter with. And then you sit down with the person you're bitter with, that that's bitter with you, and they go, you know, I'm not the only one. No, I know that. Because if you kept it more than one day, you attract other mold. It's like ants. Where do those stinking ants come from? I have no idea. Like, you leave something out, and all of a sudden, there's a you know, trail. Like, in our house, it's going to be a trail like 200 feet long. Like, where, where were the ants before I put something out there? I don't know. I just know if you leave the right things out, it attracts them in, 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 in multitudes. Have you ever had anybody confront you after they've been bitter for a while? And they have other people when they talk to you that agree with them? Yeah, and Joe and Henry and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus all agree with me. always have six other people who agree with them. Listen, I want to tell you, I'm not the only one. I talk to some other people. We are praying for you. <laughs> we didn't gossip. We were in a prayer meeting. I'd like to pray for the soul of my pastor. I think he's going to hell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah me too. I felt the same thing. It's little groups. They just grow. They just grow. And if you've been bitter for more than a month, I bet you found some other friends who are bitter with the same person and we end up being friends because we have a common enemy. The person we're bitter with. (laughs) I want to tell you something though. Bitterness has no friends either. And pretty soon, you in the little home group with your bitter group, and pretty soon, you don't like each other. (laughs) It's contagious. It's like catching a virus and you just want to give it to your enemy, but you just keep coughing and everybody in your household is sick. It's <laughs> just whatever. It's a bad word. So did I tell you to turn to Matthew chapter 5? <laughs> Talk about the Bible for a few minutes. You've heard that the... Oh, verse 21, sorry. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. 
But I, this is Jesus speaking, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you're good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fury of hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, remember, you don't have something against them in this one. We'll talk about that in a minute. Your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. I'd like, to, I'd like to propose to you that God cares more about relationships than he does about worship. <clears throat> I wonder how many people would be in church on any given Sunday if, you, if we had to deal with our unforgiveness before we can offer. I wonder how many people are coming to God with clean hands and a pure heart. Uh, might clear most of the church out. Maybe just Bill and I left. And I don't know about Bill. On a serious note, if we took these verses seriously and we said, I don't offer God something but I, when, I have, when I know my brother has something against me. I love this verse because it... Because I often feel like, and I, I just, like, I don't know how much time we'd have in a day for like the first few months if we actually said, I'm responsible for people who have something against me. Now, let me be clear. He's talking about your brother, not your Facebook friends. <laughs> I'd have to quit the ministry and just go house to house. He's talking about being in relationship with people that you have offended and you don't do anything about it. And then you come to church and you're like, oh, Jesus, I love you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Go, go take care of that problem you have with your brother. It's kind of, I don't know how we'd feel if we really took seriously that we have responsibility for people who are offended with us, that are in relationship with us. Because I don't know about you, but I often think, well, it's their problem, you know? It's not my problem that I sent them that text message and they took it wrong. Just because I called them stupid. I know this can be taken too far, but I really wonder. Let me let me say it differently. I know what can't be taken too far, and that's how much God values us being in right relationship with one another. Like, if you don't get anything else out of this tonight, get two things. One, Jesus really has forgiven you. And if you're walking around with things you did on purpose, and you're like, well, he can't forgive that, you need to get out of shame and hang on to the cross. Because you're, you're paying, you know what happens when you, when you don't let Jesus forgive you? You're saying, what you did on the cross isn't good enough for me. And let me tell you the side effects of that. You end up doing penance. You know what penance is? That's when you pay for your own sins. And let me tell you who did that. That was Judas. See, Peter and Judas denied Christ. 
One guy went out and hung himself. He created his own redemption. And I'm saying, well, you know, I, you know, I denied Jesus. Well, so did Peter, and he became the head of the church. My question is, do you know how to fail successfully? Because Jesus had chose 12 disciples to be the foundation of the church. If you look at the New Jerusalem, it has the apostles' name on the foundation of the church. I mean, sorry, foundation of the city. The 12 apostles' names. Are you with me? So when Judas hung himself, Peter literally said, we have to choose another person because we end up with 12 12 gates with only 11 guards. Thus we have a 9-11. Anyway... Something for another day. But my point is this, is that Judas, when he failed, instead of coming back to Jesus and saying, I failed, as Peter did, instead he created his own redemption. And I'm saying, every time you don't let Jesus forgive you, and you do things to try to make up for your sin, like be ashamed, you're doing the Judas thing. You're hanging yourself for your sin. And you're saying to Jesus, what you did on the cross isn't good enough for me. And I'm saying, that isn't humble, that's stupid. And not only that, but that kind of stuff comes out in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. I'm saying it poisons you. And it poisons the people who get connected to you. I'm saying, the greatest, I think the greatest unforgiveness we... No, let me say it differently. The most common person that we don't forgive is us and we don't have permission to not forgive you don't have permission to not forgive you you didn't die on the cross for you jesus died on the cross for you so when you say jesus i did this on purpose you can't forgive me you're saying to him what you did isn't good enough for me it's not a compliment it's an insult so get over yourself step over your dead body Get baptized. <laughs> Years ago, um, we, Bill and I, um, you know, we were, we, were, we were very close, but when we were young, we were hung out together all the time. And Bill said to Kathy and I one time, don't let the sun go down in your anger. This is like, we were married like four years. Bill said, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And he said, you know what that means? I said, no. He said, don't go to bed mad. Because if you do, you'll end up, in the, you'll wake up in the morning bitter. So it became, if you will, a tradition of ours that we tried to solve our problems with one another before we, before we went to sleep. Sometimes we'd lay there for a long time before Kathy would finally forgive. <laughs> and we learned, we called them, I kind of coined this phrase, rules of war. So, you know, when you, you're kind of fighting with your lover, you have rules of war. And one of the rules of war is once you've forgiven, you can't use past situations to justify present offenses. So once you said, I forgive you, and by the way, once you talk it out, you should use these words, I forgive you. And when it's all said and done, you say, all right, so you know, this, maybe you, you talk it out, and you're like, I did this, and you said that, and I said this, and okay, yeah, I, 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 would you forgive me? Because remember, forgiveness doesn't last more than one day. It starts to turn to bitterness. Right? If it's not used, it spoils. So I say, would you forgive me? And she said, yes. And she should say, I forgive you. I'm saying, it's not just words. When you understand the power of words, like, I release you from heaven's requirement. 
I forgive you. You could go worship now. You could go connect now because you've been forgiven. And I say to her, I forgive you. So what I'm getting at is that you don't let unforgiveness... Let me say it first. You don't let forgiveness stay longer than a day. You use it. As soon as you see you're wrong, you ask for forgiveness. When you know somebody's offended with you, especially in your relationship with them, you go to them. Did you, see, did you see that Jesus said, go to them? He didn't say, go to five friends and ask them to pray about it. <laughs> well, I'm just, I don't like confrontation. I'm a quiet person. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a, probably another verse for you somewhere. <laughs> I don't want to make them mad. Oh, okay. Jesus said, oh, if you don't want to make them mad, you don't have to go. <laughs> That's not my personality. Oh, yeah, quiet people, quiet people. That would be... That's somewhere in the Psalms. I can't find it. <laughs> yes, if someone's offended with you, go to five people and make sure it's okay to ask them. No, he said, go to them. Go talk to them. You know, in our staff, we have a rule in our staff, and it's been this way ever since, uh, even before I was here. If you have a problem with somebody, and, you know, if you're not a part of the problem and you're not a part of the answer, it's none of your business. So if you come in my office and you go, i got a problem with Joe. I go, have you talked to Joe? If the answer is no, no, I don't want to talk to Joe because Joe's going to say this. I'm going to say this to them. He's going to say that you've been, oh, you've been, that's called bitterness. Bitterness happens when you play both sides of, in your mind. I'm going to say this to Paul and he's going to say this. Then I'm going to say this and I always win. That's why I'm bitter. I have a right to be bitter because I'm right and he's wrong. So when you have a problem with somebody, you don't tell five people, you, you go talk to them. Now, how many understand you can't work it out, then you go get some help? I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, number one, rules of war. Number one, when you've forgiven somebody, you cannot use that in a conversation again. So if, we, if I leave my underwear on the floor and she gets mad and we have it out, and she says, you always leave your underwear on the floor. Why can't you pick them up? da da da, da. Say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Yes. And a month later, I do it again. She can't say, you always do that. No, no, you forgave me. Therefore, you can't use it against me. You can only talk to me about the current offense. You can't talk to me about past offenses that you forgave. The goal, and listen, rules of war. The goal of communicating with your spouse or your friend or whoever is not is understanding, not agreement. Let me say it again. The goal of communication is understanding, not agreement. We're, we're trying to understand each other's heart. And by the way, when you're upset with somebody, or they're upset with you, or you're upset with each other, you don't always have the right words. So don't fight over words. Like somebody comes in and talks to you, and they go, you did this, and this, and this, and you know what they're saying, but they didn't get the words right. Forget that they didn't get the words right. What are they saying? What's their heart? And by the way, if someone's upset with you over something that they communicate that seems stupid, there's probably something deeper there that you want to start asking, like, what's actually going on? You might want to ask your heart, what's wrong with their heart? I'm saying what's wrong in the sense of what did they do, what did you do that hurt their heart? Because sometimes they go, have you ever done this little thing, and they're talking to you about that? You're like, that's ridiculous. That's because their words are not adequately communicating what their heart feels. So you have to ask questions. 
Most people don't like pain, so we don't ask questions. We're like, all right, forgive me. I don't know what I did, but whatever it is, forgive me. And it's a blanket statement, so you just forgive me for everything I've ever done. I know, I can't forgive you for something. I don't know what it is I did. Number three, when you're rules of war. When you're, you know, when you're having a conversation, don't yell or call names. Or think that you understand someone's motive. That's really bad. I know why you leave your underwear on the floor. I saw your heart. I want to tell you, if you have great discernment, when you're upset, it, it becomes suspicion. Suspicion is the evil stepsister of discernment. I know what. You don't know my heart. As a matter of fact, the truth is, I don't actually know it most time. Neither do you. Listen, if you spend all your hours trying to be like, why did I just do that? Why did I, did I offer them a Coke for a reason? Why did I offer Benny a Coke? I bet there's something going on there underneath the surface. The last thing on rules of war, forgiveness restores the standard. I've told this story so many times. One time, Kathy and I were in an argument in the, in the kitchen, and two of our sons were in the kitchen. And, and so afterwards, I was at fault as usual. <laughs> I'm learning like, man, you want to save your marriage? Here it is. Ready? I was wrong. Try it. I was wrong. It's good. Ladies, you ready? I forgive you. Yeah, that's it. That's all we need. I forgive you. We don't want to like talk about it for four hours. I forgive you. Now, if you want a great marriage, you say it as soon as you see it. Because I used to do is like stop the conversation. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, yeah, well, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> when I realize I'm wrong, I'm like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. This conversation is over. It's over because I realize, oh, you're right about that. <laughs> so we're having this argument in the, in, the, in the kitchen, and I said something stupid, very disrespectful. And, and about an hour, probably two hours later, I, I was like, oh, what an idiot. So I, we went in the bedroom, and I said, hey, I was wrong about that. Will you forgive me? And this is our pattern. I forgive you. Thank you very much. Well, I, get to, I go to bed that night. And, and I was just, you know, doing what I do before I go to sleep. I just prayed and clean up any messes that I made through the day with the Lord. I just do that. I just might have it. And the Lord said, um, you asked your wife to forgive you, but you didn't ask your sons to forgive you. If you don't ask them to forgive you, they'll think that that's the right way to treat a woman, and they'll do that with their, with their wives. So the next morning, I got my four children together. Oh, boy, Dad's got a new preach he wants to try out on us you know <laughs> they were they were teenagers so i'm like hey can you guys come in the front room before you go to school oh well, what's the problem what's going on oh we're in trouble all right i go no no you're not in trouble you know yesterday i was just respectful to your mother and um and she forgave me right baby you forgive me yeah sure did yeah and uh, i just needed you to forgive me you would you forgive me yeah yeah we're forgiving you no oh, whatever are we done? That was painless. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But two days later, one of my two sons was in the kitchen, and I was in the bathroom. He didn't know I was home, and he was being rude to his mother, which isn't his norm either. So I came out of the restroom, and I said, Hey, you don't have permission to be rude to my wife. He said, Well, you were two days ago. 
I said, yeah, but then you forgave me. And when you forgave me, you gave up the right to use that against me. Because forgiveness restores the standard. He goes, well, I don't know what that means, but mom, forgive me. (laughs) See, what it actually means is this. Let's say that you, when you were in high school, let's say you were not moral. And then you received Christ and he forgave you. Now, now you have children, let's say they're in high school, and you see a tendency in your son or daughter to be immoral. And how many of you understand that if you don't understand that forgiveness restores you to the pinnacle, repentance to the repentance, restored to the pinnacle, the high place. If you don't know that you got when what you did when you were in high school got forgiven and restored as if it never happened, then you can't lead your teenagers past your worst day. Because you feel like a hypocrite, because you're telling them not to do something you did. Unless you realize that forgiveness restores the standard. Now I can lead them the way they should go, instead of the way I went. Okay, Matthew chapter 18. So, this is mostly about you offend somebody else. Now let's talk about Matthew 18. And um, I love, this is one of my very favorite chapters. And we'll start from verse 15. I think. Yes. Uh, Again, Jesus speaking here. Not up here, but in the Bible. If your brother sins... Go show him his fault. Now remember, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, you're going to the altar and you know your brother has something against you. Right? We just talked about that. Did you understand it? Okay, so now we're talking about you have something against him. Are you with me? Matthew 18. If your brother sins, go show him his fault in private. Where? In private. Wow, that's interesting. If he listens to you, you have won a brother. But if he does not listen to you, Take two or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Now, I love this part because what I find is, if I have a conflict with somebody, and these conflicts happen often on our staff, I have a conflict with somebody, let's say Gabe and I have a conflict, and I say da-da-da, and he goes da-da-da-da, and I go da-da-da-da, and we can't work it out. I say, Paul, would you sit with him? Would you sit with us? Now, first of all, let me say this. Don't bring your mother, and don't bring your attorney. I'm saying the person that we bring to, to help solve our problem should be somebody we both equally respect, not the guy who's on my side. You with me? You don't load the deck so we can make Gabe the wrong guy. Because we're actually here to restore our relationship. And if we can't work it out, maybe we bring Paul and say, Paul, would you sit with us? And so if Paul listens to him, he listens to me, and he begins, and because we both respect him, we say, what, what do you think about our conflict? And he begins to give us some wisdom. Maybe, maybe we need a couple people. It might, and what I'm getting at is this. How many understand that sometimes conflicts are complicated? And that maybe it has to do with a business deal that we made. And maybe Paul doesn't know much about business, so we bring Paul in and we bring Charlie in, who's our business guy, and, Paul, and Steve. And we say, would you sit with us? And, and, and maybe Charlie knows the business side, and then Paul's working with us on relationship. I'm simply saying that there are reasons to bring more than one person in. But we're never bringing in the person who's at one or other of our attorney. We're bringing in somebody that we both respect. In other words, we have to both agree that this is the right person. Does that make sense? Because we're actually trying to solve the problem. 
<laughs> We're not trying to win the argument. Let's say, let me just stop. We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to solve a problem. Many people get more hurt from our trying to solve a problem when we're trying to win. I'm trying to win a brother. I'm not trying to be right. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. So if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even to the church, then let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Okay. Now let's stop there for just a second. We're talking about first century church, okay? So first century church, there'd be a church of Reading, right? There wouldn't be like 110 of them. So we're not talking about like bringing, you know, Gabe up here and Gabe will not forgive me. We want you all to hate him. No, we're talking about accountability. We're saying, I'm saying like Jesus is so concerned about our relationships that he says, if somebody has something against you and you come to church, leave church and go work it out. If you have something against somebody, work it out. Listen, it not, don't just make a casual effort. Well, I tried to work it out. We talked. It didn't work. Okay, bring somebody with you. Okay, we did it. Bring two people with you. Okay, we did it. Okay, bring their accountability with you. Like he's saying, don't give up until you've reconciled. That's the point. The point isn't like, the point, yeah, the point is, this is really important to God. He doesn't want you to make a half-hearted effort. And, well, I tried. It didn't work. He wants you to do everything you can to work this out. Whether he's the one who offended or whether you're the one offended. Does that make sense? I'm saying, what would the church be if people actually had to work it out? What would your marriage be like if you actually had to work it out? This is big to God. It's more important than worship. He said, okay, if the guy won't work it out, then I want you to treat him like a Gentile. Okay, how do I treat the Gentiles? Okay, let's go on. For truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, what is he saying? Well, look at the very next verse. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? Uh, how often did my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, no, not up to seven times, but seven times seventy. Okay, here's my point. When he says, treat him like an, a, an unbeliever, no, a Gentile. How do I treat a Gentile? I forgive them when they don't deserve it. See, if we can't reconcile, we've done everything. We brought two, we brought two people in. We brought them before some accountability. Nothing works. He says, all right, treat him like you would treat an outsider. How do I treat an outsider? I get two people together, two or three. If I, if I whatever is bound on earth, Shall be, I'm sorry, yeah, whatever is bound on earth shall, be, shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What's he talking about? He's actually talking about forgiveness. He said, you can get two or three people together and say, I forgive Gabe, even though he doesn't deserve it. Why, how do, why, do I, why can I do that? Because he said, whoever you forgive, I forgive. And if you get two or three people with you and say, we both forgive Gabe, even though he doesn't deserve it, even though he's wrong, that's how I treat Gentiles. I forgive them when I don't have a relationship with them. Now, how do you know he's saying that? Because of Peter's response. Because the next verse, Peter says, well, how many times do I have to forgive him? Which I think it's funny, it's Peter, the most offensive guy in the entire Bible. (laughs) I bet the rest of the disciples were like... (laughs) What I'm getting at, as soon as Jesus says, get two or three people together and agree on earth, 
bind on earth. What am I binding? I am binding him to the cross and I'm releasing forgiveness. Even though he won't repent. How do I know it's that? Because the next verse, Peter says, well, how often do I have to do that? Listen, look at it. And Peter said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Because Jesus makes it clear, don't matter how, if he won't reconcile, then forgive him anyway. Well, how often do I have to do that? And by the way, for you mathematicians, it isn't seven times 70, it's forever. That's the point. (laughs) And Jesus tells Peter this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. The kingdom of what? Heaven may be compared to a king who compared, <clears throat> I'm sorry, who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And he began to settle them, and one owed him 10,000 talents. Was, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. It's about $3 million. And he began to settle them, one who owed him, I'm sorry, and when he began to settle them, the one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have any means to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and payment and repayment to be made. So that slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him about a 100 denarii, about $3,000. And seized him and began to choke him and said, Pay me back what you owe me. So his slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went and threw him into prison until he should pay back all that was owed him. So his fellow slaves saw, when his fellow slaves saw that what happened, they were very, uh, they were deeply grieved and they came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Next verse. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is one of those, this isn't one of those Jesus kissing babies Jesus is safe. This is one of those Jesus is safe verses. This is one of those Jesus turns over the tables verses. This is the lion's side of Jesus. And he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who got forgiven a million dollars, three million dollars. That's you. That's me. I got forgiven. And then... He said, then you went out, and your brother offended you, and he owes you $3,000. Metaphorically speaking, he doesn't owe you his life. He owes you whatever. In this case, some money. And he goes, forgive me. And you go, I'll never forgive you. I hate your guts. And the king goes, wait a second. I forgave you everything. Shouldn't you have forgiven your brothers? And what does he do? He releases the tormentors on you. It's like God releases tormentors? Why does he do that? Well, the same reason why he let the Egyptians chase the Israelites because they would have never crossed the Red Sea if the Egyptians weren't chasing them. See, they, the Egyptians chased them into the Red Sea. They were baptized into the blood of Jesus. 
And how many understand you can't get to heaven without, with, with unforgiveness in your heart? But God has his ways and means committee. And what happens when you don't forgive? The tormentors torment you into forgiveness. And while you're being chased by the Egyptians, the Holy Spirit's talking to you, right? Because he's in the world to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So you're not just being chased. You have Holy Spirit like, um, I'd forgive your brother if I were you. There is a, a lot of people doing everything besides forgiving. And they're living a life of torment and don't know why. I'll say this, like in deliverance ministry, the number one reason why people are tormented is unforgiveness. Number one reason. You can make a guess. You don't even have to be prophetic. You say, you have unforgiveness in your heart? 80% of the time you'll be right. If it's not the only thing they got going on, it's one of the things they got going on. Like, this is not a joke. I've quoted Joyce Myers many times. Unforgiveness is like drinking deadly poison and thinking the other person's going to die. I think there's five main reasons why people don't forgive. The first one is this. They're unwilling to be wrong because being wrong means they'll be punished. Sometimes we grow up in homes where being wrong means I get punished. But how do you understand in the kingdom, I don't get punished when I'm wrong. I get forgiven. Number two, they want justice. I don't forgive because I want justice. Well, how many understand when I call for justice, I can't call for justice for another person without asking for it for me. If somebody does me wrong and I say, I want justice, justice, the justice request comes in with both of our names on it and says, give me justice for him and give me justice for me. And God goes, okay, you owe $10 million. He owes you 3000 You want justice? I'll give you justice. Number three, we need a reason to justify their actions. For example, I'm sorry, they need a reason to justify their actions. For example, they have an extramarital affair and they feel like their spouse violated them so they go out and, and excuses their behavior having an affair themselves. In other words, I don't want to forgive because if I forgive, it takes away the reason why I'm doing what I do. So I can hang on to the reason I'm mad at you that it gives me permission to do the same thing to you that you did to me. And how many know, I began the ecosystem of self-destruction. And that's why marriage is in, why church is in, why businesses blow up, why friendships are destroyed. Because I use your thing that you did, to, and I hold on to it, and I use it for permission to do my thing. Number four, they think that they have to trust the person that violated them. By the way, there is no verse that says you have to trust anyone except for the Lord. I'm not saying you shouldn't trust people. I'm saying Jesus didn't die for you to trust people. He died for you to forgive them. If you're a woman and you get raped in a dark alley by a man, you have to forgive him. But you don't have to trust him. In fact, I would say you shouldn't trust him. Probably ever. And what I'm getting at is sometimes people think that when I forgive you, I have to trust you. I don't have to trust you. I'm not commanded by God to trust you. I'm commanded by God to forgive you. And forgiveness and trust aren't the same thing. Number five, 
They're convinced that their feelings are their convictions. This is really huge. They are convinced that their feelings are their convictions. They don't realize that their convictions dictate their feelings, not vice versa. What I'm getting at is this. Sometimes people, how many of you said, how many of you have said this? I have. I've forgiven that person 20 times. Why have you forgiven him 20 times? Because when he walks in the room, I still have that icky feeling. Your feelings are not your forgiveness. Think about the story that Jesus told about forgiveness. It had to do with money, right? In this particular story that Jesus used. He said the guy owed him, what was it? Whatever it was, 3,000 talents or whatever it was, 300. When the guy, when, if he would have forgiven him, if the, if, the, if the slave would have forgiven his friend, it doesn't mean that he would, first of all, lend him more money. It, secondly, it doesn't mean he feels good about it. It doesn't mean that when he can't make his, his chariot payment, he doesn't think, boy, if I had that money, I could make my chariot payment. It doesn't mean it does anything about that. Are you, are you following me? It doesn't mean at all that I don't think, I wish I had that money. It just means I don't send him a bill anymore. I don't require you to pay the bill. It doesn't mean I, don't feel, I feel good about it. It just means I released you. If a bank releases you from your debt, it doesn't send you a bill anymore. The bank doesn't go, well, that felt good. <laughs> Banks don't feel. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. When I forgive you, it's an act of my will, not an act of my emotion. Most of the time, my emotion follows. But if it doesn't follow, it doesn't mean I haven't forgiven you. Okay, the last one is this. Forgiveness doesn't mean my pain is gone. It means I don't try and collect what you owe me. Are you with me? See, forgiveness doesn't mean your pain's gone. If you run over my leg and break my leg on purpose... And I forgive you. It doesn't make my leg well. It doesn't make my heart well. Forgiveness is the first step to walking out of pain. It's not the last. What I'm getting at is this. Once I decree, I have forgiven you. From that day on, no matter how I feel, as long as I don't send you a bill metaphorically again, I have forgiven you. When you come in my presence, I still may feel, uh, yeah, you know, I actually don't want to trust you anymore. Yeah, you actually took my money and didn't intend to pay it back. I, I, I don't want to get around you when you start your car. Because last time you ran me over. None of those things mean that I don't forgive you. Because forgiveness, again, is an act of my will. It's the first step out of pain, but it's not the last step out of pain. Are you following me? I told the story a few times. Some years ago, we owned a um, 76 station. And I, the very first month that we owned the station, somebody stole um, six tires and four rims out of the back of this forest service truck, of which I had to pay for $1,700 at the time. And uh, about probably, it was kind of funny, I was really angry, and the Lord said, you know what, if you'll forgive him, he didn't steal your tires, he stole mine. Uh, whatever. <laughs> well, they caught the guy. And, you know, a small town like Weaverville, everybody knows everybody. We worked on the sheriff's car, so we got inform- inside information. They caught the guy. He confessed to it, so we didn't have to be involved. Da-da-da. About three months later, 
that same guy who now is on probation comes into my shop to get his car repaired. Doesn't know I know. So I walk in the shop and I go, is that so-and-so's car? They're like, yeah. I said, that's the guy who stole our tires. I said, yeah. I said, did he say anything when he came in? He said, no. So I'm underneath the hood working on his car. He had this list of things. And I'm underneath the hood and I decide that I'm going to disassemble his motor and leave it in pieces in a box. (laughs) Seriously. And I'm going to say, your car's out there and it's going to be, the motor's going to be in little pieces in a box. So I get my air wrench out and I'm, I'm taking the motor apart. And one of my mechanics, who's a, a believer, and still was at the time, he walks over and he goes, w- w- didn't that guy want this and this and this done? I said, uh-huh. He said, why are you pulling the heads off that truck? I said, he's the guy who stole our tires. I said, I'm going to take his engine, I'm going to put it, in, take it all apart, and I'm going to put it in small pieces in a box and put it in the back of his truck. He just, this is all he said. He goes, well, what would Jesus do? That's all he said. And he kept on going. Didn't argue with me. He just said, well, what would Jesus do? So I'm sitting under the hood. What would Jesus do? Oh, crap. What would Jesus do? What did it screw up a perfectly good bitterness? I sat there for about 20 minutes. You know, you know, I already know what Jesus would do. But I'm not Jesus. So I'm thinking, I'm not Jesus. He's like, you're the body of Christ. I'm like, oh, but just the bad hand. I'm just the bad hand. Anyway, short story is, of course, I put the motor back together, as you can imagine. And I fixed everything on his list. And I, and I got his work order and wrote everything down that we did. And I put, paid in full. Jesus paid in full. So the guy comes in to get his truck, and I said, hey, I'll take care of it. When he comes in, got me. So it's like, hey, here he comes. I'm like, all right. So I go in the waiting room and close the door and said, hey, got your truck done. So thank you very much. I said, yeah, you know you stole my tires. He goes, oh, I didn't steal your tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now you're lying. Yeah, you stole my tires. I know you did. And um, I said, listen, wait, 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 slow down. And he's like super nervous. I'm like, hey, stop. You stole my tires. And Jesus told me I'm to forgive you. He's like, whoa, okay. And he said, and he told me that I had to bring forth fruit of repentance, which means I have to do something to actually prove that I forgave you. So I did this job for you, all these things. And, and he said that it's paid in full by him. He's not a believer. He goes, okay. <laughs> okay. I said, so here it is, here's your keys, and here's the work order, and it's all paid in full, it's all ready to go, it's in the bay. He's standing in the, in the waiting room. I walk out, I close the door. He's standing in the waiting room, looking out the window, and going, okay. <laughs> like he got stuck in, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. It was totally worth a couple hundred bucks, the job was worth. Okay. <laughs> Finally, like four minutes goes by, he gets in his truck, which is in the bay, He's sitting in the truck, staring at the wall, still going, okay. <laughs> okay. Finally, like 10 minutes goes by, he drives his truck out, and the guys are like, what just happened? <laughs> I said, I did what Jesus would do. 
cost us 200 bucks. That kid was Danny Silk's close friend. Danny Silk came to the Lord two years later. Not a beautiful story. <laughs> Listen, I remember Danny Silk, I'm almost done. Danny Silk, the very first message he preached at Mountain Chapel when Bill left and he was a senior leader was forgiveness. He, he preached out of Matthew 18 in our little church of 250 people on Sunday morning. And he said, if anybody has anything against anyone in this room when the message was over, go to them right now and make it right. I looked around. I'm like, these people are so forgiving. Then I looked at my seat, and people were lined up 50 deep out the door. (laughs) Church was over at noon, and at 3 o'clock, I got home. So this is a subject I know a little bit about. I want to say this to you. I believe right now as I'm speaking, as I've been speaking the last hour, that the Lord's actually put people on your heart if you haven't forgiven somebody or if somebody has something against you. And I want to ask you, before you leave this room, because I know what happens when you get, you know, we're going to walk out of this room and we're going to get busy, right? All of us have really busy lives. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna forget what we learned, the emotion of it will be gone, and the trouble will remain. And I wonder if you have any idea what it would feel like to live totally clean. Totally clean. And I wonder how much your life would improve, my life would improve, if we live totally clean lives. Not without fault, but people who clean up our messes. And so I want you just to bow your head for a moment. I'm not going to call you forward or have you do anything. I'm just going to, I just think we need like 30 seconds to think about it before we go home, before we get in the car. And I want you to say these words to the Holy Spirit, if you have the courage to. Holy Spirit, if there's anybody in my life that I've offended or that's offended with me that you want me to clean up, please put that person in my mind right now, in my heart. Now, let's just give a few seconds to see if anything comes to your mind. Anybody? Can be government, too, you know? Okay, if you have somebody in your mind, I want you to say this. Holy Spirit, I agree with you that this is wrong, and I promise to make it right as soon as possible, as far as it depends on me. And I pray that you would work on their hearts also that we could reconcile in a way that pleases heaven. Amen. Amen. You can lift your heads. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. 